ask them one on one, like, what do you want to learn? So, because I like to get feedback from you. By the way, if you ever feel like I really want to learn about X, come and tell me and I will literally book a class for you. I'm not joking, meaning on a topic that you, if you want, I want to give you guys what you want to learn. So if you say, oh, well, I need to learn about this, I don't know anything about it, I will organize classes around what you guys want. Seriously, Nalini, myself, Eliza, you can tell us all. Um, so, but the one thing kept coming up was, I don't, under, I don't have a foundation in, in the Jewish understanding of like the order of the stories, and like what happened when, and what stories in what book of the Chumash, of the, of the five books of Moses, and like under navigating my way around my own heritage and foundation, I don't really understand it. Like I don't really, I don't know where the stories are, and I don't know, I just need a crash course. So, okay, I was like, that's interesting, but that's probably a whole series and a curriculum, how am I gonna do it? That, that week, as it happened, I met this man named Rabbi Goldhar, who's, sole focus is doing crash course in Jewish history. And he's got a whole thing called goldpassschool.com where he does videos, but he also teaches live, a complete visual picture of the whole thing and teaches you in one hour by memory the whole thing. You will walk out knowing the whole foundation. Huh? Avram Goldhar, he taught for Asia in Israel for many years. And he does literally because he knows that we don't have this background and we, don't know that we didn't understand it. We never got that training. So he's got a way of visually putting it where you will know the whole thing, the order, the story and Jewish history at the same point and how it all feeds in in the bigger picture of the holidays and the life cycles and everything. So um, unfortunately, I'm going to be in Israel that week, which I'm devastated about because I need that class. Um, and, um, but if we like him, he can come back and do a longer version for four hours on a Sunday. We'll call it like one day Hebrew, Hebrew days, like one day Hebrews, what's it called? Sunday school. One day Sunday, you know, like to do a half a day of, of his proper bigger course. But he's got a one hour course he's going to do June 30. Um, we have Hannah Silver coming from Israel as a special visitor, the redhead. She was one of the favorite soul teachers last year. She's going to do two weeks on suffering and the meaning of suffering, why we have suffering in the world as we lead up to Tishabav which will be awesome. We have an amazing Shabbaton July 31 um, in um, Passaic. We're going to partner with the Aish Passaic House. We're going to get bring Hannah Silvers coming for the whole Shabbat. She's an amazing, amazing speaker. She's going to be with us the whole Shabbat as well. So we have a Shabbaton in Passaic for that Shabbos. Um, anyway, that, t that takes us into August and that's probably about enough. So, um, any questions about housekeeping? Oh, by the way, you know that if you do 10 weeks here, of learning or eight to ten weeks and two Shabbos that you can get a free trip to Israel if you want to go and learn for three weeks. Do you know that? No. No. Okay. Huh? Even if you've already learned. Uh, I don't know. We have to talk about it case by case. If you've learned for a long yeah. period of time, maybe, maybe not. We might have to speak about it. But what happens if you learn for ten weeks times? What, what, what happens if you're on the sold board that started yeah. sold? <laughs> I've been trying to get you to Israel for a long time. It's not about me. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry. I mean, hypothetically, um, hypothetically, hypothetically um, that means you can get a free trip. All right. Anyway, so, um, yeah, you guys, come and speak to me case by case so we can discuss. Okay, awesome. So, uh, I realize that a lot of you guys are new-ish, and... Um, one-on-one, -on -one, again, I'm speaking to people and they and I realize they just don't know anything about my journey, my story, and I just thought, A, it would be good just to share a little bit, seeing as I'm here every week, um, about, you know, a little bit about my story, about how I got here, just a little bit, but then also to share an idea that frames Judaism in a very, very deep way, and also includes a lot, a lot of psychology, which is my background. So my background was as a psychologist coming into Judaism, I knew nothing. I knew nothing about Judaism. I don't know if anybody would know that. Australia. Yeah. Bet you're from Brooklyn with your accent. <laughs> Cup of coffee? <laughs> no, the walk the dog. That's all I know. 
Australia, I know they think it's the same thing, like Australia, South Africa, England, same thing, like, no, no, different continent. Um, but I realise most Americans really don't know about Australia at all. Um, yeah, it's really true, and I didn't know that, so I unfortunately embarrassed two unsuspecting poor, poor uh, seminary girls who were about 17, 18 at a Shabbat meal once when I told them that, um, you know, in Australia, if there's no cabs, you can just hitch a kangaroo. And um, it's a joke, you cannot, just so you know. And, um, but I really thought it was so clear it was a joke, but I was like, yeah, you can hitch your, and if they don't have a baby in the pouch, you can jump in the pouch. <laughs> and, um, and they were like, really? And I went, uh-oh, like I'm in trouble because the whole table went silent, never looked at them. And um, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in so much trouble because they put it, fully believe it, I'm about to completely embarrass them in public, right? Which is a very big no-no, you know, in Judaism, you're not allowed to do that. I mean, just to be a nice person, you shouldn't do that. So, um, embarrassed. Yeah, it's a halakha, Jewish law, that you shouldn't embarrass someone in public. It's like you nearly killed them. Because what happens when you get embarrassed? You blush. You blush, and before you blush, you go white. So when you go white, it's like you just want, you know that feeling of I just want the, the, the ground to open me and swallow me up? I literally want to die. But of course, when people are embarrassed, they like to cover it up. So they just smile along. So you don't even know that you embarrass someone. So it's considered a very serious transgression to, to embarrass someone in public. Very interesting. Isn't that cool? Like it's like the opposite of the modern day culture, which is specifically to think of the most kind of vicious swipe or snipe or joke to get someone to embarrass them in public, and that's considered comedy, like in a lot of cultures. And if you get embarrassed, and you, there's something they say that um, the bracha that you give, um, meaning like, and you don't answer back, you get embarrassed, you don't answer back. The bracha that you give has a lot of power, um, and um, it's, it's an opportune time to give a blessing. Correct. When you don't right. They say if someone's been yeah, ins exactly. insulted right. or embarrassed, exactly. insulted, right. and offensively in public, and you did not say anything back, if you bit your tongue, that you you accrue enormous merit. Exactly that you can give a blessing, so uh, you rush up to someone. I actually saw this happen recently in a cafe where um, I was there and this person who was just a very mean, bitter person, I could see from the whole way he's, he said to a, a man who I just think is the most wonderful man who's helped me a lot personally, he said something like, oh, I don't talk to losers. In, in, in front of like five, six people at a cafe, and the man just looked at him and just smiled and just turned away. And I went up to this man afterwards and said, give me a blessing now, please. Give me a blessing now. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, you just dealt with that with such grace and, and like humility. Give me a blessing. Exactly this, exactly this. And he goes, okay, okay, you should have a great life. And he's like, and he's just like <laughs> but anyway, it's true. Okay, so, um, so a little bit of background. I grew up in Sydney, Australia with the kangaroos. And- um, Wait, so what did you do at the table? Oh, at the t oh, oh, thank you. Thank you for bringing that back up, thank you. Um, he, she, so basically, um, they, there was this like awkward silence as they're like obviously believing me, waiting for the kangaroo, like, you know, what's it called, um, hitchhiking story. And, um, and everyone's like snickering around the table and they, she said, they're joking, she's joking, you know. And I said, yeah, I'm just kidding. And look, they went bright red. They went bright, they were so embarrassed, right? And uh, I felt so bad and I was like, I can never do that again. Like, no matter what, I can never do that. I never, I do tell the joke like that, but I'll go, it's a joke, like in advance. Um, and uh, anyway, I, they thought I was absolutely crazy, but about um, two days before Yom Kippur, I tracked down their phone number and I was in Israel and they were in America by then. 
And I rang them up and I said, I don't know if you remember me. I was the kangaroo lady at the Shabbos table. And I said, they're like, I said, remember that Shabbat in Ramadish Kol that we went to? We met once. I have no idea who these girls are. I called that host and said, what are those girls' numbers? And um, I actually did this. Because I, 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 I just knew it was such a serious thing that I did on Shabbat. I mean, you know. And, um, and I called them up and I said, I just really want to ask your forgiveness for embarrassing you in public. It really, it really, I'm really sorry. They're like, are you crazy? Like, they just like, could not believe that I rang them, right? And of course, the fact that I went to the effort of finding the number and calling them meant a lot to them that showed I really cared. And then, of course, they could forgive me more, you know. I was like, okay, the, the danger with embarrassment is you don't know when you embarrass someone most of the time. And you make a flippant joke and not know someone's just like dying inside. Okay. So I grew up in Australia with zero, zero background at all. Um, you know, we had the Passover Seder, we had Christmas presents, Hanukkah presents, um, and my brother was born in and that's it. And um, I was a psychologist, so I had a practice, and life was great. I was living by the beach, I didn't have a Jewish friend really. Like, it was a, a really waspy type of Jew. Do you have that word here, waspy? Yeah. Is that a, not, it's not an offensive word? No. Okay. Because I, I say things, well, I say things to people that are not offensive in Australia, but it's offensive yeah. here. What? Oh, Jappy. But they're not Japs. No, I know. Oh. I like it's like that. It's like Jappy. Right, exactly. I wouldn't call a wasp person a wasp. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, right. Like you're such a wasp? Yeah, you wouldn't say that. Okay. Okay. You're such a wasp. Um, and uh, life was great. I was really happy. I had a great career. My career was actually peaking and I was doing the Today Show. That's right. I was doing the Today Show, which is basically the same as your Today Show. We just copy you about everything. Um, same structure. I was the resident psychologist. Um, I had my own segment every couple weeks and it was really fun. I, was, I enjoyed the creativity of having a segment plus um, seeing clients on the side. It was totally different, two different things. And we just talk about current affairs and topical things and stress and all, you know, all sorts of psych related stuff. And it was very much, I felt like I was in, doing my mission and helping the world and doing meaningful things and life was great. And my younger brother, and like, I'm like this Jewish thing was like not even on my radar as an awareness. Like, I, I knew I was Jewish. My father was a Holocaust survivor, which probably had something to do with it. Um, and so we went as far away as possible from anything Jewish, like nothing. Like I had zero preconception other than it's just kind of dorky, right? It's like the black sits like what are these things and black and whites and I would like kind of just stare at them on the streets. You know, I was actually living in the Jewish area for about a decade. So I, and with all religious people all around me, isn't that interesting? But I situated myself in a, in a building with observant people all around me and I would just look at them. And go like, we're both Jews. Like, I remember thinking that, and then I would just like ignore it and go on with my life. Did you ever do that? Anything like that? Isn't yeah, that funny? Sure. We're, we're, Jew, we're Jews. Like, like, somewhere we're the same, somehow. I don't know how, but we are, and I don't want to be at all, right? So I remember having moments like that and just ignoring them. And so, so we had a Nudgy relative. You know, everyone has at least one in the family. Oh, what? Nudgy. Oh, wait, Nudgy? Annoying, like nudges you about yeah. stuff. How do you say it? Yeah. Nudge, nudge, nudge. And uh, she started nudging go to Israel. She was culturally very Jewish. I, we weren't even culturally Jewish. Nothing. So I, I was like, go to Israel. Why do I want to go to Israel? I want to go to Paris. I want to go to Europe, right? And that's what I did. I was stubborn. Yeah, apparently we're stiff-necked people, but I, I really was. I was like, no, I'm not going to Israel. I have no interest. I want to go to Europe. So I went to Europe. Had a great time with all my non-Jewish friends. Fantastic. Came back, my brother started to graduate, and then he, I mean, that was before my career, right? That happened. So then I was in my career, and my brother was graduating, she started nudging him. He was weak, he gave in, he went to Israel. Had a great time, like on a birthright. And uh, he stayed on for two week elective after that trip, 
to study Judaism. Never studied anything. And uh, he was blown away, absolutely blown away, obviously. And uh, he said, this is unbelievable, I need to learn more. He asked tons of questions, they had deep answers for him. And uh, he came back, he started to learn more and more. I'm like, that's great for you, I'm so happy for you. And um, he started becoming more observant. And I, I didn't know what that meant, except that he wouldn't eat out with me certain restaurants. And on Friday night and Saturday, I couldn't get hold of him at some point on the phone. And you know, like I was like, what? And then at some point, two years later, one to two years later, he stopped touching women. That wasn't me or my mother, and I freaked out. And I said, oh my gosh, you've joined a cult, right? And I'm a psychologist, it's my obligation to counsel you out of this, right? <laughs> like I really thought, oh my gosh, I better take this very seriously, but I, I really had no idea what I was saying. I had no foundation, I had nothing to, intelligent to say to him. So I couldn't argue with him, but I argued with such a conviction that this is like ridiculous, but then, but what's it based on, right? So, and at the same time, I had this little voice in the back of my head, but you're Jewish and you don't know what that is, right? And that this is somehow related to your identity too, and you don't really know what it is. And at the same time, I was on the Today Show with a million viewers per segment, saying things like the way to happiness is to embrace all of yourself, love who you are and all of who you are. And I'm like, and you're a Jewish woman and you have no clue what that means? Like, you hypocrite, right? I felt this hypocrite thing. Yeah, thanks Oprah, you know, this whole embrace yourself. And I would say these things like that, which are tr I believe to be true, but here I was not living it. So I had that in the back of my head as well. And um, at some point, my brother and I would stay up, he went to Israel to learn, and we'd stay up late at night having very deep philosophical conversations. And um, obviously I believe in universalism, pluralism, right? You choose your path, I choose my path, who's to say what's right and wrong, right? All the roads lead to the one place of self-actualization. And develop. It sounds familiar, right? And uh, it sounds lo it's logical, it sounds true, it resonates as true, and I believed it with conviction. And he said, one night we had this very intense moment, he said, Jay, I'm not telling you what's right and wrong. He said, I just want to ask you one thing. You believe in universalism and pluralism, you choose your path, I choose my path. I believe that the highest path for every Jew is a Jewish one. So we can't both be correct. I'm not telling you what's right or wrong, I just want to ask you what do you base yours on? How do you know the world works that way? And I had one of those moments of intellectual and emotional honesty with myself, you know, rare moments where you stop and say, yeah, like, why do I really believe that? Like, really? And I had superficial answers, like, like community and my, how way I was raised. I had superficial answers, but like, I didn't really know why I believe that was such a conviction. And if I really knew that that's the way the world, I never spent time really studying it. And I stopped and was like, and he said he felt so bad, it was such an intense moment, he decided he's never gonna do that to his big sister again. He's never gonna be so intense and pressuring. He said he decided then and there he would never pressure me about Judaism again. That was the same week I turned around and said, all right, introduce me to a rabbi. And he said, he nearly fell off his chair. He couldn't believe it. So he just decided to leave me alone. And um, he said, you do realize that your belief, side point here, he said, you do, believe, you do realize that your belief that there's no absolute right and wrong. There's no absolute truth in the world. You choose your path, I choose my path. They all lead to the same place. You realize that is an absolute truth about how you think the world works. Check. You hear the contradiction? Mm -hmm. You believe the way the world works is it's universalistic, pluralistic, you choose your subjective, you choose your truth, I choose my... That is an absolute truth about how you think the world... I was like, oh yeah. It's like, anyway, so like, right? So um, I said, introduce me to a rabbi. He introduced me to a rabbi. At some point I realized the Nudgy relative was right. I had to go to Israel because that's where you see it in context, right? You, you learn I'm not exaggerating 
one to two months in Israel is more than a year of learning here. There's no question. Anyone who's been to Israel knows that it's like it's like accelerated, accelerated learning. I mean, because you you absorb it, you feel it, you see it lived around you. If you can ever get there, I know it's hard when you're working for two, three weeks a month. It's worth going. It is really worth going. It's really worth trying to make that space in your life just to get there because you learn in such a deep way. Um, so I, got, I went to Israel, I got a locum into my practice. I said to the Today Show goodbye. They thought I was absolutely nuts. And um, I'm going to take this away actually because I realize sometimes this, uh, the buzz is next to there. This is, by the way, this is for the iPod. I, I, not iPod, the um, podcast. Do you know we have one? On, on um, iTunes. So if you ever miss a class, you can go onto iTunes and to Sold NYC on iTunes and podcasts and all our classes are there. Do you know that? little ad okay so um got to israel my brother just like is thrilled and pushes me into front of a rosh shiva i'm like rosh what you know like rosh head obviously head rabbi and this rabbi takes one look at me and he says you know i met a girl today so what he said like he goes she looked at me and she said rabbi i hate religion and i was like that's me <laughs> like he obviously knew that it seems like psychic a little and uh, he says, yeah, he said, I looked at her and I said, the religion you hate, I hate too. And he said, now let's talk about Judaism. And I was like, shh, I like this guy. <laughs> and, and that really, if I had to frame up my experience in one sentence, that would have been the sentence, right? The religion I hated was this perception of whatever it was I thought was walking around my Sydney area with people dressed a funny way, right? Or like archaic, you know, traditions that I didn't relate to, that I didn't know anything about. And that religion I hated, or, or the judgmental, or the fanatical, or the narrow, or the insular, or the this, or the, all those things was not what I experienced at all, at all. So, um, so that, began, that began the journey. I ended up, just fast forwarding before I go on to the class, I ended up um, realizing that there was nothing more important at the age of 30 uh, to understand this piece of myself which I'm really glad most of you guys are not waiting till that age to start the process. Um, because I, I, it was a very big adjustment to walk out of my life at that point. And I just felt very strongly that I had to be in Israel to learn. And so I because there was no real option in Sydney. Here it's different in New York because you have the whole infrastructure and the support network and uh, you have a community here. You don't have to be as drastic. I didn't really have that option in Sydney. And, um, and uh, I ended up sitting and learning for five years full time which I did not think I was gonna do. I just did six months and six months and six months, right? And you're like, oh, I can't leave it. I was like, this is the best professional development I ever experienced, right? As a psychologist, I, I actually really did find this, that it was the best professional development. And I'm gonna share some of the original framework about what, how I saw that psychology within Judaism and how Judaism encapsulates all the psychology, as well as much more, obviously. Um, and um, I sat for five years and then, um, I didn't, you know, those moments where I had my freak out moments, like, what am I doing? Oh my gosh, I don't have a job. I mean, I technically could have a job, but like, what am I doing? Am I crazy? Like those moments and other moments where I absolutely knew this was the right thing to be doing. And I just had this deep, deep knowing. I wish I had another area of my life, but I had it at that moment that when you do something for truth and for a higher reason, it never, you never lose out. It always comes back as blessing. I didn't know how that was going to look. And it's really scary to do it. But when you do something for a deeper truth and the, for the right reasons and for a higher reason, it only lends to good things. And I remember thinking if I had a career there, I could start a career anywhere, technically. Um, I didn't really know what that looked like. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was thinking going back to psychology, of course, but I wasn't sure. Um, I remember asking my rabbi at the time, Rabbi Kellerman, at a taxi, 
after five, four, five years. So is Madrakharing at that point tutoring? Do you think I should start preparing classes? I'm thinking he's going to think, oh, yeah, in another 10 years. He turns around in the taxi and says, yeah, I think you're, pre you're pretty ready. Why don't, why don't you start? I didn't have a job offer. I didn't really want a job offer. I didn't have a career drive. I, I, I just thought, should I start prepar preparing some classes? It's a bit weird, right, when you don't have an offer. like. And um, what should I prepare? What about something psychologically related like Prike Avos, Ethics of Our Fathers? Yeah, I think it's a good idea. I said, okay. I, start, I went out and bought the one in English that was just translated with Rebenu Yona. Started looking through, thinking what would be helpful to do in a class. The next day, or the next day after that, I'm not sure, Rabbi Liff from Neve says, oh my gosh, the teacher's not here. Can you just jump in and teach? I'm like, no, 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 I just have the conversation. He goes, what conversation? Mm -hmm. I'm like, you spoke to Rabbi Kellerman, right? And he goes, no. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I just like, bought a book. Just, I have nothing prepared at all. So just, 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 just talk about how to build your relationship with the Shem. I'm like, what? <laughs> I said, give me five minutes. And I went into this room and shut the door. And I was like, how do you build your relationship with the Shem? And I was just like, <laughs> I, remember, I remember just thinking, what do you do? And I just wrote down five points. And I went in just terrified. By the way, this is what it really looks like. This is what like real opportunity looks like. This is what real leadership kind of looks like. Like it's messy and scary and horrible, right? And it's not like this clear like through the fields, <laughs> like with clarity with an open door, come in, sign a contract. Like it was like messy and ugly and sweaty and gross and horrible. And and I just stood there and was like, I know if I had notes written out and prepared, I would have been like hiding behind the notes and just reading off the notes, right? So the, no, Shem's like pushed me off the cliff, you know. I got the permission from my rab. I bought the book and boom. A door opened. It was amazing. It was amazing because I was just talking like this. Like I was just talking. And so you have a real relationship with people in, in the class. And um, it was great for them. It was great for me. And I, I realized there was something here, right? A lot happened after that. I don't want to go into it just because it's just, it doesn't, I'd rather teach you some ideas. Um, but that, that was the beginning of a career. And so now, you know, obviously I run programs and I travel around the world and speaking and a whole massive career opened up and realized that all that Today Show and all that psychology and all of that stuff was really training for this. Yeah, all of that was training for being able to have the opportunity and privilege to help in whatever way I can, please God, the Jewish world, you know. So, and we're only halfway through the story. Like, you know, in five years time, 10 years time, we'll see more as it unfolds in all of our lives. Um, so I look forward to seeing that next part of the journey. Um, so one of the concepts that totally blew me away as a frame about the whole of Judaism was this concept of Olam HaYudidus, which is the world of connection, that inside each one of us there are two different spiritual universes that exist that um, are inside of us and we flick into one world or the other world whether we're aware of it or not. And um, it can happen in the blink of an eye. The two worlds are completely different in, 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 in emotional and spiritual experience, but physically they're identical. The world of connection is a world of love, a world of relationships, a world of intimacy, a world of calm, being calm, and it's a, it's a force of building in the world, building things, building people, building ideas, yeah, building relationships, building yourself, building concepts that you have, ideas, creative ideas in the world. The world of disconnection is the other universe. And the world of disconnection is a world of fear and isolation, loneliness. It's a world where you feel um, anxious sometimes. It's a force of destruction. You know, about breaking things down rather than building things up. It's the opposite force. And these two worlds li literally 
Um, let's do. What is that flashing? Oh, world of yeah. connection. I'm just writing this because it's very helpful to be visual. Love, intimacy, uh, calm, let's say relationship. <laughs> and what was it? Building. disconnection and the world of fear, isolation, um, anxiety, loneliness and destruction. To the degree that I feel love, I can't feel fear, the Torah says. To the degree that I feel fear, I won't feel love. They're like a seesaw. A lot of people think the opposite of love is hate, but really they're two sides of the one coin. You know this because when you love someone you can also flip into hating them very quickly, right, because of the connection. The connection's very strong. So the opposite of love is really indifference, disconnection, apathy. Yeah? Like, I don't care, I'm disconnected. Which is really what, what I was feeling about Judaism, for example, and what many people feel. Um, the root of this, the world, the, the, one, of the, one of the sources, and many sources, of this, the fact that there is a world of connection is the Shema. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. So what does it mean, Hashem Echad? Like, hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Great, what does that mean? Hashem Echad means that everything is one. Everything is connected. That is the reality of life, that everything is connected. I always think of it in a sense like you're in Hashem's belly, even though there's no physical belly, right? But you're all within Hashem. Hashem Echad means that everything is one, and we're all within Him. So that is what the world of connection is. And it's very, very easy to not believe that, obviously, because we're all physically separate, so we have to focus on it three times a day in the Shema. That's why we do Shema three, up to three times a day. Because, you know, in the morning, the men do it in the evening and then before bed. Why? Because I need a meditation to focus on the fact that this is the reality. Right? Um, when someone's holding your hand, when you feel connected, it's an, you, can, you can nearly face anything. You know that feeling when someone believes in you, when you feel connected. It's amazing what it, what it gives you. It makes you feel like your best self. You feel centered, you feel calm. Rob Dessler says that the root of this world of connection is giving, to be a giver. And that at any given moment, you either are a giver or a taker, which is the root of this world. What does that mean? When I give, it naturally connects me, and when I take, it naturally disconnects me, which is very seductive, because sometimes it, there's an infantile seduction in feeling like a taker. Talking, focusing on me, what's in it for me, what can I get out of this? If I buy this product, I'm gonna feel this. If I just get that, I'm gonna feel good, right? So it feels like, hang on, if I focus on myself, if I take whatever I want, I'm gonna get what I want, I'm gonna feel good. There's a real seduction in that. If I get all this money, I'm gonna feel fantastic. If I lose 10 pounds, I'm gonna, I'm gonna feel great, I'm gonna feel successful, I'm gonna be loved. I'm gonna be loved if I look fantastic. Right, common women's issue, right? I'm gonna be loved, I'm gonna be finally accepted. That's what the whole drive of the diets and the, yeah, the, uh, the real, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with looking good and worrying about your weight and your health, but I'm saying that the drive to always look perfect, right? Which is a very female struggle, is related to this feeling that I'm gonna be loved, I'm gonna be accepted, I'm gonna have connection. When really it gives you the opposite if you go to the extreme. Okay, there's a, 
There's, there's nothing really more terrifying than feeling alone in the world as a human need. After man was made in, in the Chumash, in the Torah, I think it's two verses later, a couple of verses later, it says, and it was not good for man to be alone. Straight away. As soon as man's created, it's not good for man to be alone. Like it's, not, it's in our spiritual DNA that we shouldn't be alone. There's nothing more scary than feeling alone in the world. Prisons know this, by the way, because where do they send you when they really want to punish you? Isolation. There's nothing more scary, so I'm going to send you to the worst punishment. Isolation. Solitary confinement. It's interesting, I spoke to, uh, we spoke, I took a group of leaders to see Natan Sharansky in Israel. And he was a Soviet refusenik who was imprisoned for 13 years, nine of which I think were in solitary confinement. Nine years, solitary. And one of my leaders had the guts to stand up and said, how did you stay sane in solitary confinement? And he said the most unbelievable thing. He said three things kept me sane. And he said one was, I stayed connected to the vision that every day I was alive meant something. Connected to the vision, right? Connected to something of meaning. Number two, he said I, um, he was a chess champion. He is a chess champion. So he played, literally he said thousands. There must have been thousands of games of chess against himself in his brain. He said, of course I won. So he, so he kept his mind sharp. And the third, this blew me away, he said, it was, it, it, it's illegal to make anti-Soviet jokes, right, in, 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 in the Soviet Union. So he would think of the most hysterical anti-Soviet jokes and would tell the guards of the jail the anti-Soviet jokes and watch them in agony trying to control themselves from laughing. <laughs> and he would say, who's in jail, me or you, you can't even laugh. It was like, that's the third thing he mentioned that kept him sane, which was what? Humor. It doesn't matter where you are physically, it's what world you're in inside. He felt connected. There, you're in jail. Doesn't matter where I am physically, right? I'm free inside. Very Victor Frankelish, if you ever read, read Man's Search for Meaning, but also a similar heroic type of attitude towards life. There's nothing more terrifying than feeling alone. In fact, there's a halacha that says you're not allowed to lock a child in a room by themselves. And if they get locked in by accident, locked in. By accident on Shabbat, you're to treat it as if it's life and death. The category, halakhically, as if it's life and death. And you should break all the laws of Shabbat to save that child, which I thought was very extreme. Why would you treat it as if it's life and death? Because the Torah recognizes that there's nothing more terrifying than feeling alone, and if a child's locked in, they'll feel traumatized. So you should treat it as if it's life and death, because it probably is psychologically and emotionally. Okay, as a psychologist, I was curious about this anxiety. I noticed that as a psychologist, anxiety wasn't, it wasn't cured. There's a lot of good psychological techniques for anxiety, and we're talking about here it's normal low-grade anxiety, not mental health disorder level, right? There's a whole spectrum of anxiety. So the extreme level is you have a mental health disorder. That's not the type we're talking about here. This is the anxiety we all feel. You have a big job interview. You have something very nerve-wracking coming up, right? Um, you feel anxious a little bit, yeah? And I noticed, but I noticed that with all these anxiety techniques that never got rid of anxiety, Anxiety still exists. We can manage it, we can reduce it, but we can't get rid of it. So I was curious what the Torah said. This Torah view. The Torah says you can't get rid of it. You can't get rid of it. You can't eradicate it because it's always part of the potential of this universe that's inside of you. I was like, it's so fascinating. You can't eradicate it. It's part of the world of disconnection, or the world of pachat zarut, um, fear. So what is, what is, how does the Torah say to approach anxiety? Again, from a spiritual frame, dealing with the psychological, which I thought was fascinating. 
it says, oh, don't try and fix it. Because my Western brain goes into the problem to try and fix the problem. It's a very Western approach. Let's go into the problem, let's break it into pieces, let's analyze it, and let's try and fix it, right? Like by going into the problem. Torah, this is, I've never heard of this in my life. It says, leave it alone, don't touch it. You can't get rid of it. Instead, jump over to the world of connection and build and flex the muscles that are involved in the world of connection. Because the degree that you have one, you won't be able to have the other. They're like a seesaw. So the degree that you pump up your connect, connectivity ability, to that degree, you won't feel anxiety. This is a very deep idea that I want to expand on. I don't usually talk about this in the first class that some of you have heard before when I've done this class. Because um, I want to go a bit deeper because you're sold, you know, you're like advanced black belt. Um, and I want to go a bit deeper because I want to talk about the psychological piece also because some of you have heard the original class before. This is a fascinating idea because um, not only is this a spiritual universe and, and it has spiritual drives that we feel, for example, have you ever seen a child build sandcastles at the beach? They build up sandcastles, they feel so proud of themselves, they're building, force of building. They stand back, they look at their castles, they call mommy and daddy down. Oh my gosh, Pinterest, look what you built, right? Um, What's the first thing he does? Jumps on it, stamps on it, destroys it, right? He's going back and forth, building destruction, build, right? So that these drives are in the world, but not only are they in the world, but they're in us. They're inside of us. What, are, what do I mean by that? Mazel tov. Bye, Carla. L'chaim. What, what do I mean by that they're inside of us? Okay. There's a bit of Kabbalah that I don't really understand at all. But I'm going to tell you what the bit I do understand and maybe together we'll work it out a little bit. If this is the truth of life, that the world is connected, what on earth is this? Don't tell me this is like, this feels very real sometimes. So what is this? A lie. Yeah, it's a lie, but it also feels real. It's misinformation. It could be. Or it could be a level of information that's not as powerful as this. Right, so what do I mean, what do I mean by that? You're, 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 you're circling around the, right, around the right answer there. Maybe without this, we don't realize this. Ah, good. So you're saying there's a relationship. Good. Yes, also you're circling. Maybe two circles, maybe you'll bump into each other and you'll both fall in, right? It's like creating the possibility of connection. Because in order to connect, you need two people who are not connected. So they connect. Or something oh, inside yourself that isn't connected in order for you to be able to connect. Okay, so you're also saying you're seeing there's a relationship between the two. You need to have one for the other. Okay. It's Close. It's foggy, but we're getting there. No, I mean the world of this. Like, oh, the world of disconnection is like foggy. It's the same thing. It's just like a, like a foggy version. It's like, like a more hazy version. Right. So it's the same thing you're seeing. It's just your vision hmm. of it is a little. Interesting. That could be. I'm going to think about that. Okay, so the way I heard it was, if this, this is the truth in life, so then this is, this is what happens when there's the absence of that truth. Again, I have no idea what I just said. Is that right? <laughs> this is the truth in life. So this is the absence of that truth. What does that mean? This is what exists. This, this is the darkness and this is the light. This is what exists when the light is taken away. What do I mean? If you imagine walking into a dark room, it's pitch black, and you light a tiny little flicker of a match, that tiny little flame of light highlights the whole room that you can see the outline of the room. So you, you know the famous quote, beautiful poetic quote, light, the light dispels the darkness, right? So once there's a bit of light, it dispels the darkness immediately, yes? 
A little bit of light, once it exists, completely eradicates it, like evaporates the darkness. But it is simply not possible to walk into a light room with a little piece of darkness. Isn't that awesome? You hear? You can't walk into a light room with a little piece of darkness. It doesn't exist. The concept doesn't exist. Why? Because when the lights are on, there is no darkness. The light is much stronger. When the light is on, I can't, the darkness does not exist. It evaporates. Darkness is only what is there when the light is removed. Right? So it, so it is an illusion in a way, but it's what's there when I haven't infused it with light. Which is this idea that don't focus on the anxiety because it's like trying to go into the darkness and fix, you can't fix the darkness. Instead, go to the light and bring the light in because once the light's there, the darkness can't exist. Yeah? This is an unbelievable concept when you start applying this internally. What does that mean? It turns out that there are a whole lot of character traits that are associated on a, like talk about Musser, personal development, psychology. There's a whole lot of character traits that are associated with this world of connection. There's a whole lot of character traits that are associated with the world of disconnection and they exist on a continuum. So if you're in the light on this continuum, you'll have this character trait. But as you move towards the darkness on the same continuum, you'll end up in that character trait. What do I mean? And by the way, all of these character traits are righteous, holy, godlike traits. And if I ask any of you, Think of someone you admire right now, you look up to, you're inspired by. And then I say, what is it you're inspired by? Think of a character trait in your head right now. Pick someone in your life you look up to, you're inspired by, like just really admire. And now I say, what, what is the trait that you admire the most in that person? Do people scream out a trait? Trust. Trust, selflessness, kindness, trust, positive, Hardworking. Kind, hardworking, determined. determined, right? What else did we say? Generosity. Generosity. I'll say patience, right? Now, if we look at the opposite of that, trust would be betrayal, positive would be negative, kind would be cruel. Um, what's that? Hard work would be lazy. Um, I can't remember my writing. Deter determined would be... Um, apathetic. Yeah? Unmotivated. Um, patient would be angry. That's what happens. They're the traits that are there to the, to the degree that those aren't. Right? So let's take, for example, patience and anger. Again, anger management, psychology, psychobabble, right? Anger management. Now, there's a lot of good things in psychology, some fantastic things. A lot of behavior modification. You can't go around hurting people, right? But it didn't eradicate it, it controls it. So I was again curious. So to the degree that you build up this muscle called patience, what is anger? Anger is my inability to tolerate things not going my way. I, get, I blow a gasket, so to speak, internally, when something, I can't bear the discomfort of things not going my way, right? But if I build up this concept of patience, that I can bear the discomfort I feel when things don't go my way, I won't, feel, I won't be angry. Right? That's what patience is. So there's, for example, in a, in a Musravad or a, uh, a group where you work on yourself, we would focus on patience. We had some great um, exercises we did every day for three years, two, three years, where as soon as you were irritated, you had to, in your mind, say the word panic button, which meant that you're not allowed to show any signs of irritation externally, no matter what's going on inside. 
and you have to check every day that you did that at least once or twice or up to three times we did it. Called panic button. Have you done your panic button? What does that mean? As soon as you're mildly irritated, you're not even allowed to go, like not even a slight sign of irrit. So what are you doing? You're building up a wall internally by practicing, like it's like weights, flexing an internal muscle of patience that even when something does not go my way, I'm gonna stop myself, consciously override it and build and push weights. That's really what you're doing. You're pushing weights internally, right? An amazing idea to the degree that I mean, the world of connection, the world of disconnection can't exist. They did a study on road rage. And on this study, it was amazing. What, what, what happens with road rage? You get in your car, that's your narcissistic bubble, my road, and I'm getting from A to B. And I wanna, I wanna get where I wanna get, thank you very much. And then someone has the chutzpah to cut me off, right? Beep! What, like, how dare you, right? It's my road. That, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but that's essentially what, what goes on essentially on the road, right? So I'm driving along and someone cuts me off and I feel really angry because I'm, I'm, I'm in my isolated narcissistic bubble of my car and I'm doing what I want. And all of a sudden you've had this feeling, I know you have, don't say you haven't, and you look over and there's a cute little grandma in the car and she goes, thank you. And you go, oh, no problem. <laughs> right? And all of a sudden in one second, the anger dissipates. Have you felt this? When you look across why they found with the road rage studies, that when there was connection between the cars, the eyes, connection, road rage diminished immediately, or if not, very quickly. It's an unbelievable idea. As soon as there's, because well, you can't have one without the other, meaning they, it's like a seesaw. So all of a sudden, if there's connection, the road rage literally goes. This is an unbelievable idea if you apply this concept in your life. These are very deep ideas that can have filtered through many levels of your lifetime. If you start to work with these concepts, So the idea of Musa is to the degree that I build myself in the righteous traits that are God-like, and this, this ties into the whole concept of emulating God, being Selim Elohim, right? This is how this fits. And all those traits pull me into the world of connection. Alam ha yididus. Yididus, the word yididus, which means connection, actually comes from yad biyad, hand to hand, right? The world of disconnection exists when there's no light, when, when we remove, when we, we haven't built up light. Okay. The million dollar question is, if I find myself that I've dropped into the world of disconnection, how on earth do I get back? Yes? So glad you asked. Um, there's three ways to get back. I don't have time to go into each category. Each, each category I can spend about a class on each. But essentially the way to get back is through three different categories. And to the degree that I'm connected in these three categories, to that degree I will live in the world of Hashem Echad, the world of, of Olam HaYididus. What are the three categories? Connection, disconnection to self. Not just emotionally, but spiritually. My body and my soul need to be connected. I need to understand that my body is like a child and wants comfort and entertainment and adventure and hot and cold and good food and sleep. Like a child. Like it needs immediate gratification. And that's a valid need. And my soul is much more longer term, bigger picture. Who do I want to become in the world? What do I want to stand for? Who do I want to be? And can handle working towards things, right? I need to get the degree. So I'm going to stay up at night. I'm going to study. I'm going to get the exam, right? I want to go for this job. I want to, I'm going to prepare my resumes. I'm going to do all the boring stuff. But if you don't look after your body in the process, it will rebel. They found that New Year's resolutions spike. Everything spikes. Gym memberships, diets, everything goes up, right? Because the soul's like, New Year, I want to change everything. 
1st of February, everything's back to normal. Why? Because you took on too much. The soul wants everything. Didn't take into account what the body can handle to change. And all of a sudden, everyone crashes. You have to understand and work with your own body and soul on limitations. This is crucial to Jewish growth as well. People don't realize this. Crucial. People come to me. They're all inspired. They want to take on everything. I said, no, no, no. I'm sorry. You can't eat full kosher. They're like, what? What are you talking about? Like, what's wrong with you? No, sorry. Sorry. You, you, you won't be able to sustain it. You'll drop. I don't want you to drop it in a month. No, you can't take on all of that every single Shabbat. If you want to do more, great, if you feel like it, but that's not your commitment. Your commitment should be X, and if you want to do Y, fantastic, but don't commit to it yet, right? It's a whole other, it's a whole other class. Masim Kutanim, small, te- small steps. You have to, to have to grow in small steps. And that, that means you have to know that your body's rate of growth is much slower than your soul. Your soul wants everything now. Your soul resonates, your soul's excited. Your soul sees the truth and has clarity. If I told you, if I, if I got a dollar for every time some people are in Israel and their soul sees so clearly, they need to come back and learn. So clear, clear as day. Why on earth have I not made this a priority in my life? Um, I'm teaching them in Israel when I'm on trips, so I see it. And I'm like, boy, I hope she makes it. Like back. And I, would, I don't know, I don't even want to guess the percentage, but I would say a lot of them don't make it back. If I had a dollar for every time someone didn't make it back. Why? Because they get back here and they get ensconced in the body. The distractions, the, the comforts. I'm not talking about you have a life-changing career job and you don't want to give that up. I'm not talking about that. That, that you should not give up. But I'm saying for no other reasons. Like there's no, they can't find two months, one month, two months, three months. But it just gets so busy and distracted that it's just very hard to have that clarity, such clarity. Israel has a holiness. Israel brings the soul to the foreground so there's a complete clarity without distraction there. It's much easier to feel. The truth. Remember, remember these feelings? Am I ringing yeah. bells? You remember those feelings? Yeah. I, I feel different here versus there. It feels it's just we, we should because Israel is a very holy, special place. Is there a question? Yeah. What do you mean, make it back? Make it back to go back to Israel to learn. They're so clear that they want to learn more. They come for a week or two trip, but they're so clear it's unbelievable and so deep and so resonant. Well, when they come here, they forget. You mean? Yeah. Like suddenly the clarity's ha- hazy, as, as Meredith said beautifully. Hello. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I don't know if you heard me, but um, the, the, that, that, I just realized that's your analogy, that the haziness, yeah. that it gets hazy. It's like a world of, it, I'm less connected, right? I'm less connected. doesn't mean you're disconnected fully, but you're less connected. Okay. Connection to self, connection to others. Connection to others is, 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 is one of the other categories. And obviously, this is very complex. When someone walks into a room and you don't know them, you have an option. You can say, hi, do you need any help? Are you, are you new here? Can I help you with anything? Like, what do you do? Can I, can I be a, like being a friend for them? You're giving. Be a giver. Or they walk in the room, you stand back and you say, oh my gosh, look what she's wearing. Is she a loser? I don't know, whatever the negative head noise is, right? Disconnection. And you think, this is the biggest illusion, you think it's about the person that you're looking at. This is the, this is the illusion part. We think that when we're in that moment and we're staring at someone judging them, we think it's, it's actually about them. We really do believe that, but really it's about us. It's a pointer back to you that you flipped into the world of disconnection because that's not really who you want to be. At the, uh, you, it's, you like your insecurities. it's our own insecurities or our, ju- our negativity. Like it's not who you want to be. So in that moment, as soon as you realize that, you can flip yourself out and go, oh, hi, do you need anything? Like, as soon as you realize it, in a second you can get out of there. 
What's the trick of the Yetzirah? By the way, you know the Yetzirah, the Yetzirah, these concepts, the two spiritual forces inside of us. Of course, they're the spiritual forces that influence you to move into the world of connection. And the Yetzirah is the spiritual force that influences you to move into the world of disconnection. If you look at the Yetzirah's goal, it's to destroy you. Yeah, by disconnecting everything. Let me just get through, and then we'll, I'll take questions there because I'm going to run out of time. This rabbi that I spoke to, this Rosh Hashiva, by the way, I just want to, I just want to finish because this, this is an important um, point, that when someone is in the world of disconnection and treating you that way, it's very easy to join them there. How dare you speak to me this way? How dare you treat me like that? How, right? Very easy to respond to someone in the world of disconnection God, by you flipping into the world of disconnection and then you both bump, bump up against each other's egos, right? I have, why should I apologize? They should apologize first. They were right, right? It's all about disconnection. And it could be that you're completely right and, you're, and it's right what you're saying. It could be that you're actually right, meaning they did, they did do the injustice to you. It could be all those things exist. You're not allowed to be abused. You're not allowed to be taken advantage of in the sense of abusive. But as far as this idea of moving into the world of connection, everyone wants to be in the world of connection. Everyone wants to join you there or join, be there. So if you can hold back and not join someone there, you'll bring the world up, so to speak, at least your world and the world around you. So this rabbi that I told I hate religion to, I, he once told me a uh, story, an unbelievable story. He was in a bank and uh, he was walking up and there was a witch of a teller at the bank, witch. She was being horrendous, rude, mean, cruel, and everyone was counting to see if he would get her, hopefully not them. Of course, who gets her? The rabbi. And the rabbi comes up and she says, I'd like to deposit this check. She says, I'm sorry, you can't do that. You filled it out wrong. You have to go and do it again and go to the end of the line. Like the rabbi didn't have time to do that. And everyone's like watching her. She was being horrendously rude. Now, someone in the world of disconnection responding to that would say, how dare you speak to me that way? I need to speak to your manager. And they're right. They are in the right. Right? How dare you speak to me? I need to, be, I need to get, this is not the customer service of a bank. Like, how dare you? So they would be right, but they would both be in the world of disconnection. You hear the difference? What did this rabbi say? He said, are you okay? Are you having a bad day? Is everything all right? She burst into tears. She said, my, my, my son was just diagnosed with cancer. That's what was going on, right? So he, re he, let, he invited her into the world of connection in a real way. Right? That's what's going on when anyone's being like that to you. But the, the, our, our test is not to join them there. It's a test. It's a hard, it's hard test. Okay. Last one, connection to God. This obviously depends on your own personal position, where you're at with God. It depends on, on, on your own exploration. At the time when I heard this, I didn't even believe if there was a God. I mean, I really didn't even know if there was a God and what is God, and I have no clue. But I basically, I, I treated myself as, a, as an experiment and decided to pray because that was the thing that was the central pillar of Judaism, to have a relationship with this thing called God that I was open to the possibility may exist. But to the degree that you're in a relationship with God, that you're speaking aloud to him, loud enough in a whisper that you can hear it, which is a common mistake people make, is that they don't do that. And whenever someone comes to me and says, uh, you know, I believe in God, I, I pray to God, but I don't feel any connection. The first thing I ask is, are you speaking aloud? Loud enough in a whisper that you hear it? And they nine times out of ten say no. They're thinking it, right? Of course God understands what's in our head and our heart, but he tells us to speak aloud because we need speech to feel connected. It's a very deep idea for another time, but we need speech to feel connected as humans. So if I'm not speaking, I won't feel connected. Allow, right? All right. How does this fit in with Torah and the frame of Torah mitzvahs? 
You know, in Hebrew, you look into the root of a word to understand the concept of a word. Yes? So, mitzvah, the root of the word mitzvah, is tzav, which means? Huh? To connect. Command and connect. That means there's 613 connectors into the world of connection. The word halacha, the word halacha, which means Jewish law, if you would look into the root of the word, you would think it would mean rule, limitation, law. It doesn't. The root of halacha, which means Jewish law, is lech, which means to go, to walk. So halacha literally is the pathway. Pathway to where? The world of connection. Right? If I want if God's basically really nice. He says, here's a set of instructions. Oh, by the way, instructions in, in Hebrew is called? Torah. Torah. Do you know that? Instructions in Hebrew is called Torah. Here's a set of instructions in Torah. Um, there's a pathway. It's called halacha. There's a pathway. And if you want to follow the pathway, it'll lead you into the world of connection. There's 613 connectors that will connect you into the world of connection. Oh, by the way, we assume you're connected with yourself. So they're broken into two categories between you and others and between you and God. Right? Those are three categories getting into the world of connection. Up to you how much you want to follow. I'm just laying out the, the instructions for you. Oh, and by the way, if you don't want to fall into the world of disconnection, God's really nice. He basically says, like, here's a list of things to avoid if you don't want to fall in. What are they called? Yes. But sin. I used, to, I, used to, I used to cringe at the word sin. I was like, sin means I'm a bad person, I'm going to burn. Right? That's what I used to associate with that, the word sin. But in Hebrew, the word sin is avira, yeah, and chet. There's two words for sin in Hebrew, two main words that we use. And one of them, avira, means you, you passed it, you missed it. You went off the pathway, right? You missed it, you fill in. And chet literally means you went off target. You're off target. If you look at the root of every sin, what's actually going on in every sin? Don't murder. It'll disconnect you. Don't speak Losh and Hora, bad speech. It's going to disconnect your relationships. Don't murder. It's going to disconnect you and everyone, right? The root of every sin is some form of disconnection. It's an unbelievable idea. It's an unbelievable idea that the whole point is to be connected. By the way, this is the secret of sororities and fraternities. I taught this class in AE5. They were blown away. I'm like, where do you think you got it from? They're like, oh my right? I said, we're all a sorority, <laughs> right? It's in us to want this. This is, this is the goal of life, to be the most connected, means that you're the most actualized you can be. God God's gives you a set of instructions for how to do that. It's up to us how we want to do it. And may Hashem continue to bless us with finding our own pathways of connection. And I hope to see you in Israel as well, to continue that journey at some point. And have a great week. Thank you.